you're in the Freedom Hut. Thanks for listening to the Buck Sexton Show podcast. Get the latest from Buck at BuckSexton.com. Team, welcome to the Freedom Hut. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Missed you over the weekend. Excited to be with you now. Just a few stories that we're going to hit today. Another athlete turns her back on America. A shooting in Times Square. Democrats trying to blame the GOP for defund police. And Biden backtracks on his backtrack on infrastructure. We'll get to all of that and more. Um, And that'll all be coming up. And make sure that you give this podcast a like if you can, if you give it a rating, if you can post it to your Facebook. Let's continue to pass the buck, everybody. And and it really does help if you will give a a rating in the Apple Podcast Store. Uh, Tell people to give it a listen. We want to continue to grow as we are every month. But I recently had a situation where I wanted to get something fixed with a business. They had sent me, well, the wrong size and I needed to get it changed. So I thought I was going to have to sit on customer service as you usually do and give them your order number a bunch of times. But actually, no, I was able to do it all through text messaging thanks to Podium. You see, Podium is a messaging platform for your business and it helps you reach your customers wherever they are. Think about how straightforward this is. You get something and you need to have an exchange or you've got a question. You know, you want to know what uh, what the ingredients are or what software is compatible with it or whatever. Instead of having to sit and wait on a long phone call, you can actually just text message somebody. It's a game changer for your business. All right. Podium will help you adapt to these changing customer expectations, because I know whenever I find I find that a business can text, I'm going to use that business and it's more convenient for me. So you've got to try Podium for your business. RPM Alamo says they increased their business by 20%. And Tony, who's an owner of RPM Alamo, said, we've generated more revenue, decreased vacancy rates, and pulled in more leads we could have in multiple years. It's priceless. All right, find how you can get Podium for your business today to reach more customers and just improve their overall experience with your business. Get started today at podium.com slash buck. That's podium.com slash buck, P-O-D-I-U-M, podium.com slash buck. Gwen Berry, not a name that I'm sure you were particularly familiar with before, but you certainly, if you've been uh, opening websites on the news or you've been reading the newspaper, you, you see who she is now. And she's an athlete who uh, decided, uh, she first of all, she's a hammer, a hammer thrower. And she said that she was displeased that the U.S. national anthem was was being played when she was on the podium getting the bronze medal, not even the gold medal, in the hammer throw event. Now, let's just all be very clear. The hammer throw is one of those events that if it went away from the Olympics, nobody would even notice. I mean, this is not exactly packing the crowds into the stadiums. Barry then turned her back to the flag, covered her face with a T-shirt with the words activist athlete on it. And she said the timing was a setup by the event organizers and disrespectful to her. And they say USA track and field says the anthems actually played once a day, according to a preset schedule. And Barry, no surprise, is a big activist and activist. And and that's a term that we know increasingly just means a, a left wing community organizer with Marxist leanings, if not open Marxist. Uh, uh, sensibilities and and desires. So it's just the whole thing is 
one of these moments where I, I'm torn because on the one hand, I want to just say, all right, well, who cares? Are we doing the wrong thing? Are we doing the wrong thing by giving attention to this athlete? I mean, am I doing the wrong thing by sitting here and talking about it? But I think that that would miss something, miss something very important. If this were a one-off, if this were just a moment in time, probably say, okay, um, we could skip past it. We we don't have to dive deep into this situation. Why give more attention than is necessary? But this is really part of a much longer trend, as you know. There are a lot of people out there, and Colin Kaepernick, of course, is one of the most famous among the athletes, but there are many who have taken a knee during the anthem, who have done things that are intentionally meant to show their displeasure or even disdain for America, right? This is this is where we are. I, I think it's important that we're all honest about this now. I think it's important that we all speak the truth about it. There are a lot of people, uh, there are a lot of people who despise America because it is what I now say is a, a fashionable mental illness on the left. It doesn't come with negative consequences, quite the opposite. Uh, among a lot of folks, it actually means that you're going to be heralded. You're going to be uh, you're going to be praised. Your career will improve. Your prospects, your ability to earn a living, all these things will get better. And that's something that we have to understand. H- how do we get to this point? How do we reach this phase where now we have people in this country who not only First of all, have the have the absurd belief that they should hate America. But beyond that, uh, that they are benefiting from that hatred. Right. They they like to act like this is a, the 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 martyr standing up for what is right. They, they want people to believe that this is an act of bravery, but it's actually an act of self-congratulation and self-advancement. The people who do this, I mean, Colin Kaepernick is a great example of it, but there, there are plenty of them. Uh, there are plenty of athletes, of celebrities. I, I can't even think of all the actors and actresses off the top of my head who will talk about how, you know, America is a fundamentally racist place. And we have all this uh, we have all this atonement that we must engage in. Some people would sit around and say, well, hold on, I didn't do anything. And they'll tell you, well, if you push back on it and say that you didn't do anything, that's just further evidence of how racist you are, which is Absurd, but this is the way that it goes. This is where we are. So we're not really going to remember, I think, for very long, Gwen Berry for this. Because for one thing, just because she's a hammer thrower, which is one of those very, uh, you know, it's one of those track and field events that people just don't get particularly excited about. But beyond that, um, you see that this is all a part of, of a broader narrative. And that's what critical race theory is all about. There are a lot of people. In America, when I say a lot, I mean, you're looking at a big chunk of the American, 20 to 30 percent, I'd say, who pretty actively despise a lot of this place, a lot of America and its history and some of our our common uh, common institutions and beliefs. And they really do think that there should be a radical change here and they want to be agents of radical change. They don't want anything to, to to be different for them in terms of being rich and influential and all that. They're not willing to make sacrifices in, as individuals, 
But the great part about being a collectivist or a communist, a Marxist, is that you can always come up with ways to explain how you should still be really well off. You should still have a lot of power. It's other people who should pay the price. It's other people who are the ones that have to pick up the tab. And this is really a a plague. I mean, this is becoming so widespread and it's gone beyond just something that happens in a lot of different areas of, of culture in American society. There's now a benefit to it. You know, corporations will often be afraid of taking action against somebody, no matter how much they defame America, no matter how much they upset the fans, so to speak. So instead, what you really have is like a a form of hostage taking here. People decide that they're going to make a name for themselves by spitting on America. And then if you call them out for it, uh, you are the focus of tremendous attacks by the left. And corporate America will rush to their defense. And why? What is this other country? I always want to ask this. Where are we supposed to look for real leadership in the world? What is the country that abides by leftist principles that America should look to? Because they they start to say things, you know, they'll, they'll talk about maybe some country in Europe or maybe somewhere else. And they're always deeply ignorant of what it's actually like in that country and also the the uh, social and uh, and social justice issues that are present in these other nations. Uh, but also you start to wonder to yourself, so do they really just want this to be a socialist country? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes, they do. Um, but I do believe that an- enough people are seeing this for what it is and, and are becoming increasingly furious at what's really just babyish tantrums from leftists. This is what... This is what we're seeing. Oh, it's so hard. Oh, I'm so oppressed. It's so terrible here. Really? Compared to what? And why? Notice how it's so many of the people who have succeeded tremendously as a result of this American experiment. And they're the ones that then say, oh, it's so terrible and oppressive here. And you say, well, hold on. Look at you. And they say, well, I'm here to speak for the oppressed. Ah, okay. What do they do? And how will they make the lives of the oppressed better? Which brings me then to the AOC effect. You know, she's calling, uh, she's calling what's going on in cities across the country. Uh, well, she says that the right is engaging in hysteria around this. That that conservatives who are talking about the biggest increase in crime in twenty years are exaggerating. They're being unfair. They're being reckless. Whatever hysteria is the word that she used. And to this, I just I just want to ask, OK, we're supposed to ignore this then? I mean, the data is irrefutable. You, you can't look at the data and say anything other than uh, you can't say anything other than this is getting really bad. But here you go. Play seven. We are seeing these headlines about percentage increases. Now, I want to say that any amount of harm is unacceptable and too much, but I also want to make sure that this hysteria, you know, that this doesn't drive a hysteria and that we look at these numbers in context so that we can make responsible decisions about what to allocate um, in that context. Oh, okay. Yeah, we shouldn't be hysterical about people getting shot in increased numbers, about people being murdered in increased numbers, because a lot of the country believes morons like AOC. That's actually what happened. But they don't want you to think that. They don't want you to come away 
with that conclusion because that would hurt their their power grab. That would be accountability. They they absolutely despise that notion. So instead, it's well, let's not get let's not get too hasty here. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. Oh, okay. So I I just want to be clear if we have, you know, George Floyd is killed by a police officer and it is a nationwide, in fact, a global atrocity that we all have to. Now there are statues and murals and it sparked a political movement, all this stuff. But, you know, a 30 or 50 or 80 percent increase in shootings in a major U.S. city in one year. Yeah, that maybe that's just a few dozen people murdered. AOC wants you to know a few dozen families shattered forever, maybe a few hundred. But, you know, she's she's got big plans for America. And and it, it's really inconvenient for idiot leftists who know nothing about law enforcement, who don't live in reality, who live in this conjured version of reality that they go on MSNBC to try to convince people of. It's really annoying that there are things like numbers. And that the trend of the deterioration in crime across the deterioration of safety and security and the increase in crime across the country has been as clear as it is and has coincided directly with the rise of the BLM uh, BLM movement. You know, they they talk about systemic racism. BLM has created a systemic rise in violence and shootings. It's actually systemic because it has changed the way the system can function. You have police departments being defunded. You have police tactics and procedures being changed by their political overseers. You have cops who aren't able to do their jobs or walking away from their jobs. That's systemic. That's real. But you're not supposed to pay any attention to that. Stop looking at the numbers. Stop worrying about all the shootings that are happening. I I also like how she does the yes, but construct uh, construct there of, okay, like, yeah, like, I mean, like, every shooting is, like, kind of bad, but, like, I mean, let's not get crazy here. Like, so there's, like, a lot more shooting and, like, a lot more people being killed. But, like, you know, there's social justice. And, like, we really, let's, like, do an Instagram Live about social justice. Yeah. People believe this. They they watch this. And, unfortunately, they don't realize that she's she's a reckless little idiot. And she really is. Even other Democrats know it, by the way. But she is in the left-wing zeitgeist right now. She's really a cultural icon on the left. And so the fact that she's an ignoramus, the fact that she's reckless, the fact that her policies, uh, her preferred policies, and the way that she... Remember, this is all, folks, a country is really just a perception. It's all just a narrative. It's just ideas, friends. And it can all fall apart. This is what you have to remember. America is not something that you can actually touch. It's the agreement. It's the social contract. It's all of us coming together and having certain things that, you know, certain ideas and ideals that we abide by and that we buy into. They want to start kicking at that. You wonder how long the uh, how long the foundations will hold. It's a question worth asking. Uh, We'll come back to this in a second. But, you know, I'm always on guard about big tech because I think that we've all seen exactly what big tech is all about. They want to take your data and they want to sell it to people. They want to track what you're doing there. This is happening right now. And I know some of you are saying, Buck, I don't use social media that much. Do you use email? Do you go to websites? If you do any of these things, you're being tracked. So why not take a minimal and inexpensive and easy step 
to create some actual online privacy and security for yourself. Okay, deal with that anxiety that we all have that comes from a lack of control over your data. And that's why I want you to try Secure. Secure is the ultimate privacy and cybersecurity communications tool. Secure is an instant messaging and email platform. It's hosted in Switzerland, and they protect your data with the strictest data privacy laws in the world. Secure is spelled S-E-K-U-R. That's S-E-K-U-R. And they have proprietary encryption technology, a totally independent platform, and they use Swiss privacy laws to ensure total privacy and security for your data on your desktop and in transit. All right, this is a secure and private instant messaging and email service. It assures that your conversations, messages, and data are kept completely safe and private, and they do not secure, does not mine your data, and is not subject to the Cloud Act. Take back your freedom, privacy, and online security with Secure by going to sekur.com. That's sekur.com, secure.com. Use the coupon code BUCK for one week free and 25% off. Be sure and use coupon code BUCK. Go to secure.com and regain your privacy. Mark, play two. If you are a political advisor to Donald Trump or Republicans and you survey the American populace at this moment in the 21st century and you look out at all the issues, all the things going on, and you decide that indeed white backlash and moral panic over critical race theory, if you think that backlash is so powerful that it provides such a nuclear furnace of rage that it will be the key to taking over Congress in the midterms, well then, you are conceding the central premise of critical race theory itself, which is that indeed, racial resentment, the preservation of racial hierarchy, particularly for white people, is in fact the central ordering conflict in American society, right? Because if you think that's the key to winning the elections, not whatever jobs or, I don't know, inflation, right? If the key to winning elections is mobilizing white backlash along these lines, then you're really saying, yes, yes, American politics is inescapably about race. This is fascinating. Chris Hayes is somebody who has built quite a career among left wing uh, loons because he kind of sounds and looks like what they think of as an intellectual. Got the glasses. He lives in Brooklyn. He speaks too quickly for no apparent reason. Um, and he just parrots exactly what the left wing activists, particularly white left wing activists, go around on college campuses and now in corporate boardrooms and in social media companies, et cetera, saying to each other all the time. So that's what he's done. He's built he's built a career on all that. But there are some fascinating parts of this little monologue that he gave here on, on critical race theory. First of all, the huge assumption, which is just a straw man. I mean, no one's actually saying this. This is not a belief on the right. No one says, oh, we're going to win back the midterms because of critical race theory and the backlash. That's not a thing. I mean, I'm I'm a right winger. I've never heard that before. No one believes that. Everyone thinks that there'll be a combination of issues. So so just to start off with, he's saying that we're exaggerating critical race theory. This is one of their main complaints. And then he turns around and he greatly exaggerates how much we think critical race theory is actually going to affect politics. So just start with that. Um, And then earlier in that clip, I didn't want to play too much for you because you can only handle so much Chris Hayes before you just all all the guys out there will start to feel like, oh, my gosh, am I turning into a beta male, too? But. There's a part at which he says that he does believe that race is the something like the the primary narrative the foundational conflict narrative in this country and 
to this, I'll just say, yeah, there is a whole class of predominantly white liberals in this country who completely exaggerate both the day to day importance of race in America and also the historical importance of race in America. It is an obsession for them the same way that there are people who really believe that climate change is an existential threat and the most important challenge we face in the whole world. They actually think that they say that. I'm not putting words in their mouth. They say it's an existential threat, meaning that all of humanity could effectively be wiped off the face of the earth because of climate change. Right. So that's an that's a, a fascinating position to hold that they, th- they think it's the central that people like. And he said he's one of them. The central belief of the left is that the foundational conflict narrative in America is around race. Uh, a lot of people would talk about, first of all, the, just the notion of a foundational conflict narrative, very Marxist, isn't it? I mean, really what you have in America is a long series of, uh, you know, you have so many events over such a long period of time that you would say, it, aren't, aren't we an incredible success story, actually? Isn't America a success story beyond the wildest dreams of even what, you know, the, the, the earliest Americans could have ever thought? Most powerful nation, not just at one period in time, most powerful nation in the history of the world. That's a pretty big deal. But then there's another thing I wanted to point out about, about what he says, and it is that the, all of this, all of this is being talked about by the left wing activists. They'll say that critical race theory is now sparking white resentment. And I think it's fascinating because it, it is worth asking at some point. Is it only possible for racial resentment to go one way? And is there any resentment that's actually evidenced in the critical race theory texts or ideas? And now I know this is where the, all the games are played with. Oh, well, you know, is it critical race theory or are we talking, uh, you know, whiteness studies or are we talking, uh, you know, critical legal theory? Are we talking, you know, there's all these different versions of what is effectively the same thing. The baseline idea here is racial Marxism, actually, which is that until we have a society that openly uh, treats people differently based upon skin color with the idea that it's righting the wrongs of systematic racism. You know, and there's things like affirmative action that are very clear examples of this, but there's affirmative action. You'll notice they'll often say, well, no, it's just about diversity, actually, because diversity is a strength. Well, is it about righting wrongs or is it about diversity? Well, it's about all the above. Okay, well, can we take these one by one? No, no, there are too many things. There are too many things for us to really discuss any one thing. And why are you asking so many questions about affirmative action diversity? That sounds kind of racist. That's how they do it. You know, you know how this game ends up being played. You understand how they do what they do, how the left positions all of this. They don't want to actually engage in the facts. If you saw the debate between... Uh, between Joy Reid and Chris Rufo, it was a fascinating window into what you're dealing with with the you know the progressive activist hardcore left. He keeps saying, "Okay, let's talk about what's at issue here. You're teaching kids who you're teaching black children in school that they are oppressed and they are victims through critical race theory or something similar to critical race theory, and you're teaching white kids in school at young age, at a young age." that they are guilty and that they need to make penance. They need to do something because of their white guilt, effectively. 
And let's let's talk about that. Is that healthy? Is that moral? Is that a good idea? No. Instead, what Joy Reid did on MSNBC was just say that that's not really critical race theory. You're not a critical race theory scholar. That's not really CRT. That's a lot of technicalities and games, because ultimately what the what the left actually wants in this, what the racial Marxists want is the ability to do all this brainwashing and not have anybody ask any questions about it. They'd prefer that it just happens without the public's attention on it. And now when people actually look at it, because it's it's very easy to see how some of these things that are being taught in schools, it's very easy to see how they're deeply destructive. And so it's not a, it's not a straightforward thing to to defend this. You have to use a lot of euphemisms, a lot of misdirection, a lot of, well, maybe this or, well, maybe that. It's absurd. It's absolutely absurd. Um, but that's why the pressure has to be kept on. This is why they're going to throw everything they've got at. Oh, that's not CRT. Oh, it's racist to question CRT. You're exaggerating it. It's not really happening. You don't know enough about it to question it, whatever it is. Because at the end of the day, do the American people support overall the proposition that our children should be taught that we are a racist country and that there are uh, and, and that children should be led to believe that their skin color has an enormous impact on their success in America and that they they either are oppressed or oppressor? Do the American people actually want that overall for their kids? The answer is no. <clears throat> The answer is no. So that's why you have all the games. That's why you have all these Democrats dancing around saying things that are just absurd. Absurd. All right, we got to take a quick moment here, a quick uh, breather. We'll come back in just a second. I think today's Democratic Party, when it comes to crime, this party is a party of interest groups, of radical interest groups. And so when it comes to crime, this this Democratic Party is the party of the criminals, of murderers and rapists and and child molesters. You know, you look at what they've done in the last five months. They've sent fourteen hundred dollar stimulus checks to every criminal in America. Murderers currently in jail got federal taxpayer checks courtesy of Joe Biden. They want every felon in America to vote. They want to strike down every law that prohibits felons from voting and and their approach to this it doesn't make any sense you want to know where crime comes from it comes from the criminals stop supporting policies that let violent criminals out early stop supporting policies that undermine the police abolish the police you know jesse two of the top officials in the biden justice department are among the leading advocates for abolishing the police biden appointed them Every single Senate Democrat voted to confirm them. And when you undermine the police, when when you make it impossible for them to do the jobs, what happens is what's happening now. Murder rates skyrocket. Crime rates skyrocket. And what is what did Joe Biden, the Democrats want to do? They want to take away your guns. They want to take away the guns of law abiding citizens and not go after the criminals. It does seem like the Democrat Party is the party of the criminals. I mean, find me one issue of criminal justice, find one area where there's dispute, and I'll show you that the Democrats are taking the position that is more favorable to uh, murderers, rapists, armed robbers, and all the rest, every time, over and over again. Why is that? You, you start to feel like, are they, are they just rooting against this country? Are they just wondering if they can pull it all down and make things more miserable for everybody, then at least they'll be in greater control. I mean, look at the lesson from COVID. When people are frightened, they will let 
authoritarian busybodies get away with a lot. So there, there's a, a long-term trend here that you have to see, which is that their increase in lawlessness on the streets results in not uh, the the kind of reasonable, rational pushback that you would expect on the most radical elements of the Democrat Party. Instead, uh, what they're saying is, well, we need more we need more state resources. We need higher taxes. We need more government employees, you know, social workers, of course, not actually just local law enforcement. We need to make sure we don't lock people up uh, for long periods of time for serious crimes, unless they're a police officer involved in in a use of force incident that the BLM movement has. Then then you've got to get, you know, 20 years, as you saw last week that happened, uh, went way beyond what normally a manslaughter conviction would get somebody. I mean, it went to the very top of the of the uh, guidelines. But that's the way that's the way this goes. I, I'm so. uh <sighs> frustrated, I guess is the word. You know, I was home over the over the weekend and right in Times Square, there was a there was a shooting. Uh, There was a shooting. And I I believe it involved an individual who this is a scam that is constantly run uh, in Times Square. The scam is that they have. People who um are, are there selling CDs, but what they're really doing is they're trying to go up to tourists and they ask the tourists, you know, what is your name? And then they, when the tourist responds, you know, my name is Bill, they write Bill on it and they say, okay, now this is your CD, give me $20. They essentially force a confrontation with people who, and, and they try to make it seem like, well, you know, now you owe me money. Now, the people didn't want the CD. They, didn't, they, they just responded to what their name is with a guy holding out a CD. This is the scam that's run. But you know what happens if you try to get them to stop doing this? You're being you're being racist. These guys are just they're, they're just trying to make a living. Don't you see that they're, they're they're aspiring artists. They're musicians. This is this is their music. This is what they do. Why, why would you try to stop them from uh, from making a living? And, and you know, th- this is the, the next you know, the, the next great national music star. Well, it turns out one of these guys was uh, carrying a gun and just started shooting in broad daylight in Times Square right outside the Marriott Marquis uh, on Sunday evening. Injured a U.S. Marine who was in, in town visiting. You know, a U.S. Marine. Think about this. You're a Marine. You're training to fight our enemies overseas. And you get shot in broad daylight in Times Square by a guy who's purportedly selling cds and and i can tell you he was not a a a maga hat wearing white nationalist so i i'm just want you know because i know that's the fixation the media always has we're supposed to be so worried about the 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 maga hat brigades and the coup it's going to come any minute um but you see when, when you understand why overall perception about crime matters and what's really happening then it becomes so much more clear that this is all this is all to be expected. I mean, they won't stop people from doing this, you know, panhandling scam, essentially. And any, you know, D.A. in New York, Cyrus Vance, true anywhere else in the country right now, any any major urban center D.A. doesn't want to get involved in these what seem like these lower level crimes. But then you just have people who are causing issues and who are preying upon people, and then sometimes that just escalates. That's exactly what happened. This should not occur. 
All right. They, they should not have people walking around uh, doing this scam. And and I'm sorry, like it's I've, I've seen it happen before. And I've even thought about intervening once or twice myself and saying, hey, like, because look, I take pride in New York City. It's my home. And I want people to want to visit it. And until recently, it really did feel like a very safe place. But I also know that if, if I were to try and intervene and something, let's say something got ugly, you know, that it would be, oh, you know, right wing radio host, you know, trying to trying to stop the next uh, the next Jay-Z from making a living. You know, why is he doing this? Or, you know, the next, you know, well, and it's not, it's guys who do this. I was say the next Taylor Swift. But you get the idea. It's always guys doing this. So I just sit there and I say, can't we all understand why this is a problem? And no, in fact, I, I tweeted something out about this over the weekend. And what did I get? I had all the I had all these idiot actors, like C-list actors for some reason. One of them must have retweeted what I said, which is just, oh, man, I wish we had more quick reaction social workers and violence interrupters in Times Square because that would really have helped out here. Because this was an idea that they were putting out there when it was fashionable when it would get them applause from the left, this was an idea they put out there, and it was stupid then, and it's stupid now, and I think they should be mocked for this. I think there should be a, a real repudiation of it all. But all these actors, look, eh, there's so many cops already in New York, and they're over-militarizing. You know, and, and it's just like what you see with AOC. Until, until a vagrant, you know, breaks into AOC's Tesla and uses it as, you know, their own personal toilet until uh you know there's a a drive-by shooting outside the whole foods in dc that some of these members of congress you know spend their time in these leftists until it feels like it's on their doorstep they don't care they don't care i mean the, the people in the democrat party who pretend to care about this too it's hilarious nancy pelosi diane feinstein the leadership of the democrat party people are 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 too old to be in positions of authority. OK, they I'm sorry, but it's true. They should be passing the reins on to younger generations. You shouldn't be gripping on to power deep into your 80s. It's weird. And beyond that, I mean, Diane Feinstein owns a 40 million dollar house in Lake Tahoe. You may have seen that over the weekend. 40 million dollar, you know, probably her third or fourth house. Really? Yeah. Oh, but she knows what the struggle is like. She's she's really trying to she's really trying to help people and, and do her very best for them. It's it's all so stupid, isn't it, friends? You reach a point where you just realize what this is and you wonder how could anyone how could anyone not see that this is just a clear right and wrong. This is one side is right here, one side is wrong. We need laws enforced. No more shoplifting, no more uh, you know, quality of life crimes, no more you know, it, 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 we all live by the same rules or it all breaks down. That's what has to happen. Get back into this in a moment and also some of the latest on the Delta variant. Oh, the Delta variant. It's coming for all of us. Time to lock down again. Forget about everything we've learned here. That's what we're being told. That's what, that's what you have to get ready for, don't you see? They want to be in charge again. They're, they're not done with you. So I did check in on my stocks today. And, you know, I, I've had the, the best year, the best 12-month period I've ever had of, of trading and I recently had my best single trade or maybe top three all-time trades. And it came from carnivore trading. Uh, carnivore trading is helping real people like you and me make 30%, 50%, even 100% a year on their money trading stocks. And especially when the market's choppy, these guys see what's really happening. They can separate the signal from the noise. 
Carnivore Trading is an elite team of, of Wall Street strategists. They're legends among heavy hitters on Wall Street, and they've decided to go rogue. They're allowing everyday folks like me and you to see and mirror their explosive trades. Sound too good to be true? Well, Carnivore will let you see the trades they're making right now for free. Go to GetOurTrades.com and use promo code BUCK to get two weeks free. And if you join, Carnivore guarantees you'll get five times your subscription fee or double your money back. Go to GetOurTrades.com, promo code BUCK. That's GetOurTrades.com, promo code BUCK. See website for guarantee terms and conditions, past performance, not a guarantee of future earnings. Let's check in on the latest with the border for a moment. Uh, Kamala was there last week. She was there on Friday. You know, Trump is going to be there this week. I'm actually talking to Trump tomorrow on the, uh, on the radio show. As you know, this is the podcast, different from the radio show. Talking to him on the radio show tomorrow, so that'll be interesting. But here's Kamala saying, you know, things are tough. It's not really our fault. Play eight. Um, our administration, it is important to be clear, is working to build a fair and a functional and a humane immigration system. We feel very strongly about that. And as you know, we inherited a tough situation. Um, in fact, right here in El Paso was this, the, the, the launch of the child separation policy. You saw it as it rolled out on the ground in real time. Um, we have looked at a, a, a system where um, people have been housed in inhumane conditions over the last many years. Um, an asylum system that has been broken and that needs to be reconstructed. It needs to be reconstructed. What does that mean? How? Notice how vague it all is. It's all so sweeping. Okay, so people have been held in inhumane conditions. You're saying this is really bad. How do you plan, Kamala, to fix it? Very light on the details. Very light on what we actually do to make this whole thing get better. Because as I have been telling you, and I have to keep repeating it because it's not going to change, the Democrats don't want to make this issue go away. They like the long-term political implications of a de facto open border. Congressman Dan Crenshaw down in Texas sees this for what it is. Play three. Yeah, it's pretty obvious Kamala Harris does not care about this issue. Um, At all. I, I think it's rather obvious that she only went to, to visit um, in a, you know, where there was a convenient airport where she could do a quick photo op, say she did it because she was sick of getting made fun of by conservative media that she never went. But she's not going to actually take any action. Um, look, when it comes to these facilities, they're, they're, they're overcrowded. They're overwhelmed. OK, so we and, and we can wring our hands trying to figure out what to do with that. But we, we don't have new ones uh, just to build right off the bat. So. We have to look at the source of the problem. And the source of the problem is the Biden administration because they reversed policies that were in place that was limiting the flow. Okay, They reversed the Remain in Mexico policy. They reversed asylum, cooper- asylum cooperation agreements. It's like you have a pipe that's broken in your basement. And instead of figuring out how to shut off the water, you're just lining up buckets and buckets and buckets. It's not going to be enough. It's not going to stop it. You got to turn the water off. You got to stop the flow. Democrats have no interest in stopping the flow. Instead, they just fixate on getting the nicest possible buckets and complaining about how Trump didn't give them enough buckets. I know I've, I've beaten this analogy into oblivion, but you understand. That's what's actually happening. That's what's going on. And they simply uh, the Democrats simply don't really care. And now at least they'll say, well, Kamala's been to the border. What is she doing to fix it? I mean, I ask you that. 
what is being done to make this problem go away. Now, you know what's going to happen next? Oh, Congress has to fix it. That's that's the big issue. Congress. And then the Democrats will start saying they want something absurd. They'll start saying they want, you know, amnesty. And then they'll actually change the asylum policy. And Republicans, hopefully, will be smart enough to say, no, we're not going to go along with that. And then you know what they'll do? They'll say, aha, Republicans are the problem here. Republicans refuse to take action. They're being obstructionists. I mentioned the Delta variant before with COVID. You're hearing a lot about this these days. And uh, just so you know, Australia is back. A lot of Australian cities, remember how they were doing such a great job? And I kept saying, well, yeah, but they're going to be in a series of lockdowns and lockdowns and lockdowns for months and months and months. And there are serious mental health consequences to this. I mean, beyond just voting for Joe Biden, there's like real mental health consequences that come from these kinds of lockdowns, uh, ones that have terrible, uh, terrible effects on people. But uh, Dr. Wen, formerly uh, the head butcher of Planned Parenthood, uh, Dr. Wen makes the case here that all kids actually remember, we, 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 I thought we'd already gone over this. Kids don't need to be vaccinated against covid. Right. This is official guidance from lots of places. Everyone's seen this. It, this is very clear. It's it's not enough of a risk to them. And plus, you got a lot of vaccine. You're still trying to get to other people. Kids are at such low priority that they shouldn't be getting vaccinated right now. Right. Well, turns out the former chief of Planned Parenthood wants you to know that that your five year old should be getting this shot too. play one. I think that this is conflating two different things. I definitely agree that global vaccine access is really important for humanitarian and for self-interest reasons, but you're not going to get there by distributing the doses that were reserved for children in the U.S. I mean, even if you're talking about every dose for every child under the age of 18 in the U.S., you give it abroad, you'll be vaccinating less than 1% of the world's population. If we really want to solve the problem of global vaccine equity, we would be building um, global infrastructure and helping with manufacturing capacities, lifting export restrictions. There are actual policy things that we could be doing if that's the problem that we're trying to solve for. There's a different problem here, too, which is we still have a pandemic here. We have children who have been out of school for a lot of this year in person. We have parents who are not at work. And the best way for our economy to get started to help us here in the U.S. is to get our children vaccinated. The solution that Dr. Malley is proposing, to me, almost sounds like saying we have global poverty is an issue so we're going to all fast in the u.s for a month i mean that is it's not the solution to this global problem and we're not solving for the problem right here in the u.s i mean i find this i find this dr wen pretty terrifying just be honest with you because i think she would justify whatever you know she'll hide behind the md and say whatever the left wants her to she's an instrument of near totalitarian control and look she was the head of planned parenthood so i was just saying to a friend recently you really can't be a conservative and not be pro-life it's not really possible right and it's very hard for me to think that somebody has a a moral compass of, of any kind who is a big uh piece of what goes on at planned parenthood i mean i i think it's just evil i don't know what else to say i, I know we're supposed to treat this like it's something else but it, it is evil and if someone's willing to do that to uh to pre-born babies i, I i'm terrified at what they're willing to do to the general population and full-grown adults and and already here saying they're going to vaccinate your kids the covid battle's not over friends this is what i i know this is not a, a hopeful thing to uh to get into at this stage of the podcast today but the covid battle is not over they want to lock down again they want to mask you up again and and then you can say oh buck my state's fine it's normal my state yeah 
wait until the federal government has a winter surge or the Delta variant or whatever it is to work with. This ends when we make it end. It will not end until then. It'll still linger. It might get better. It's better now in a lot of places. I know. But it will continue on in some form until we stamp it all out and say, this is madness. It absolutely has to stop. Again, thank you so much for uh, joining me here on the podcast. Make sure you give a rating. Five stars, please. Tell people about the Buck Sexton Show podcast. We're doing it every day. We'll have deep dives and guests and history lessons and, oh, my, so much going on here. And, of course, it's the only place now where I get to say it, Shields High.